She's a business mogul. Number one. And wellness expert. How can I help? And now Chantel Ray and her amazing guests are here to guide you on your wellness journey. Time to level up. Welcome to the Waste Away Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode, and we are so excited. We have David Rosensweet, who is a doctor, and we are going to be talking about hormone solutions. We are going to talk about transformational results for you, and I know a lot of you have been talking about, oh, my hormones are off, I need to fix my hormones, so today's episode is for you. So Dr. David Rosens, welcome. Thank you very much. So tell us, how did you get so passionate about hormones? What got you into this field? Just give us a little bit of background of what got you here. Well, I had been a holistic physician since the late 60s. And into my office came in 1992 came a patient of mine, Deborah. She was in her mid-40s. She was in great duress, which was a surprise because she had been brilliant enough to be able to retire in her mid-40s. Think about that one. And uh, But she was told me she was going crazy. And serendipitously, I had been speaking to a world expert on progesterone. I gave her some progesterone. And three weeks later, I get a letter from her saying, oh, my God, I can't believe this stuff. I'm totally myself again. And that was very impressive. Because as a physician dealing with p- patients who are coming to me because they're not feeling well, Often it's a slow-moving train, and here we had these dramatic results. And then I didn't really control my practice. Deborah referred a couple women to me. They had good results. And before I knew it, I I decided to specialize in treating women in menopause and men in andropause with hormones because it just was a perfect fit for me. I really uh, love biochemistry and love the results. And and, it... That's how I got into it. So I want you to first explain the difference between bioidentical or natural compounded hormone replacement therapy and just HRT, which is hormone replacement therapy, because I think that's really important to start there of what the differences are and what you specialize in. Yes. If I could back up a little bit with an overview, men and women, we lose the most powerful biochemicals in our body, the hormones that come out of the ovary for women and, of course, the testicles for men, these are very powerful. And their loss is very consequential. And for a thousand years, there's been methods of replenishing these hormones. People have been aware of this. The aristocracy in China used to have women go into a a special building in which they collected their urine, they they dried out the urine, and the aristocrats ate the powder um, from this dried urine because they contained hormones, and they knew it, and, and the aristocrats got to be youthful. And um, this, this has been going on in the 40s. Um, the pharmaceutical manufacturers learned how to do the same thing only with horse urine, and they derived these... Uh, the the hormones from pregnant Mary urine, Premarin, most popular and profitable drug of all time in the, by 2000. And, you know, hormones, when replenished almost with, if they're done decently and with some skill, 
almost every hormone does a good job. We're a big tent. We believe that, uh, you know, there's a variety of ways to treat women and women and their providers should be able to choose. Now, bioidentical is a whole different world. Um, in the 80s, a friend of, two friends of mine independently came up with a way to get purified same molecule, same molecule that the ovary puts out. Well, that had a great deal of appeal to me just for the naturalness of it, which is different than horse urine. 50% of the estrogens in horse urine are not the same as what are in humans. So I love the idea of molecule identical. And then these have been around since the 80s. There's about 7,000 compounding pharmacies in the United States. These are the old-fashioned types, so to speak, using very, very modern methods. They're taking the basic ingredients and putting the hormones up in creams and gels, for example, and in capsules. And uh, I love it because I can write any prescription for hormones that I want, and I can be highly specific to the individual woman that I'm treating. And women vary enormously, woman to woman. You know, some women may need this much estrogen to be young and healthy and fertile and pregnant, where other women need three times that amount of estrogen. And all of these women are healthy. Well, it's not a problem in dealing with uh, menopause if you're willing to take the time to individualize it, help each woman come to her individual dose, which leads you to almost an infinite number of dosage combinations. But it's no problem at all because once we discover what the dose is, I can just write a prescription for that specific dose. So the level of individualization that these compounding pharmacists can do really is a perfect match for getting women as healthy and as happy about it as is absolutely possible. So let's first talk about, because I know that different doctors kind of are on different pages between blood testing and saliva testing. And some people are like, absolutely, you know, you've got to do blood testing for hormones. That's the best way. And then other doctors are like, absolutely not. Saliva testing is the best way. Uh, And then some people say, no, you can do urine testing. So I want you to talk about what is your favorite way for you to check someone's hormone panel? Well, I'm going to give you my best shot. And I'm strongly opinionated because I'm here today because of testing. Because in the early days, there was very little knowledge. But when I would give women hormones and I could test them accurately, it really helped me uh, understand what's going on. And the gold standard since the late 1960s has been the 24-hour urine hormone collection. Because hormones show up in the urine and so do metabolites. Mm. So I am saying 24-hour urine hormone tests. Our group is doing cross-testing. We're taking an individual woman's uh, samples, blood and urine, and sending them off to different labs to see if what labs line up. We've included saliva. Um, early on in my career, I uh, saliva can work decently for women that aren't getting treated, but I have a strong opinion about this. And, you know, people will argue with me about this. And I find saliva absolutely does not work when you're treating a woman in menopause. 
And then what does work beautifully is the 24-hour urine yeah. hormone test. And I'm not talking about the collecting urine at five different times or four different times. I'm not talking about that. Although we are, we are doing this cross-testing to validate this. Or, but at any rate, 24-hour urine hormone testing, the gold standard for me, I love it. Blood so testing can work well for men. Um, and it's a lot because of a default because we're not we're a little concerned that men aren't going to be willing to do the 24-hour urine hormone testing, whereas women in, for 30 years in my practice, they don't blink an eye. If they think it's the best, and I tell them it's the best, women just do it. And it's not hard. So let's go over that 24-hour. Explain how that works. And I also want you to explain, because there's a lot of new urine sample testings out there. I don't know if you've heard of them that are immediate, where you can actually check your urine and it'll check your progesterone, it'll check your estrogen and all of that right away. Well, for one thing, there's a timing issue with almost every method that we can think about. This includes blood testing or spot urine testing. When you're treating a woman, it depends when she took her last dose. And it depends how long it takes for her to absorb and get the highest level, and then it starts declining. So without doing a timing test, on every single woman. In other words, when does she get her first peak? That's the time to test her. Well, it doesn't work well. That's why blood doesn't work well with, when you're treating someone because you don't know when, to, when you're going to catch them after the peak absorption. All of that is taken care of by collecting urine for a full 24 hours. In fact, it takes that timing issue and it's no longer a problem we get the results and it doesn't matter when in the 24-hour urine, uh, 24-hour period when the woman takes her hormones. That's one of the biggest advantages of 24-hour urine. There are urine spot tests where you're doing three or four or five samples. We're in discussion with the owner of that company. Um, we're eager to see how they compare with 24-hour urine hormone tests to date. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suspend any commentary I have on that. But what I can stand behind full-heartedly after 30 years of experience is 24-hour urine hormone test is the best way to test a woman who you're treating with hormones. So Blood explain- testing works good for when, you, when you're a young woman and you choose the right time to test her when she's not on hormones. So for someone who has never done a 24-hour urine test, explain how the process works. The laboratory sends you everything you need. You do it at home. You urinate and you pour it into this big jug. In fact, I have one here. I could reach and it's, it's behind that particular desk there. Uh-huh. You collect all urine for 24 hours. You take your hormones exactly like you always take them. That's very important. And then you pour, you pour off a small portion of it and you ship it off to the laboratory. They supply all the packaging and uh, shipping. All you have to do is call up the, the ship, the delivering service, and they'll pick it up or you can drop it off. That's okay. the process. So let's talk about with somebody who is um, premenopause, that they haven't reached 
the menopause yet and they want to do this, is there a specific time if they are still menstruating? Is there a specific time that you want to do the 24-hour test? Well, interestingly enough, our recommendation is don't ever test a woman in the perimenopause because she's got an ovary that's starting to decline big time and her brain and pituitary realize this and they try and stimulate that ovary. So that when she's young, throughout a month, she's got these nice, predictable estrogen curves, for example. But when she's in the perimenopause, her brain is reading low estrogen. It'll put out a burst of a stimulating hormone. She'll get a high estrogen, but she won't be able to sustain it. So it'll go low, high, low, high, low. I explain all this in, in my book in quite some detail, which your, your viewers can have a free PDF copy of. But because the, the hormonal output is so erratic in the perimenopause, you test her on, on, on a day, she could be having hot flashes throughout the month, waking up in the middle of the night. But if you, if you, if you uh, test her on the wrong day, you'll see a very high estrogen level, which is when she's having hot flashes, she's got low estrogens. So it depends on the day you test her. The interesting thing is, the process is always the same. You don't have to know exactly where she's at. Because she's so erratic, you want to start replenishing hormones and even her out and alleviate those symptoms. We test 100% of the women when they're in menopause after they've dialed in their best dose. So usually at the three to five months mark, we test 100%. But you can get erratic results in the perimenopause and waste a woman's money and confuse the provider and the woman. Mm. I want you to talk about why organic matters. I know that one of the things that you're passionate about is that, you know, a lot of people are using topical hormone replacement, but the base of what they're using is not organic and can have toxins in it. So I want you to talk about that. And I want you to talk about timing, about kind of the schedule and any kind of reminders for people to remember to take when they're doing a cream. You know, it, it's hard to remember, oh my gosh, I have to take it in the morning. I have to take it at night. Can you talk about those two items? Yes. Great questions. Um, well, about 18 years ago, I had already been treating women for over 10 years and I had never seen a hormone. And I was treating them with topical estrogen and progesterone and testosterone. You apply it to your skin. And the pharmacy that I was using shipped one of my patient's hormones to our office rather than directly to her. And I was fascinated. Here comes this white cosmetic jar, sealed, and I had never seen a hormone. So I broke the seal and took off the top, and out comes this very strong odor. And I went on to learn that these hormones are very poorly soluble. They do not dissolve in water, and they don't even dissolve in mild solvents. You need very strong solvents. And I went on to research this, and I learned that over 98% of what was in that jar was solvent, and less than, uh, less than a percent was actual hormones. And I did the math, and I realized for a holistic doctor, where very often I was 
wanting to assist my patients to detoxify, I was asking a woman to put on a quart of a strong solvent a year for 10, 20, 30 years. So uh, my son and I went on to research a different way to do it. And we've been, I've been an organic guy for a long, long time. And we did. We did some research and we came up with some oils. We have patents on them and they're organic. They're 100% organic oils. And that's how we dispense, or the pharmacists that, uh, that dispense for us, they uh, use the organic oils. There's no solvents in there, which means the suspension, you have to shake the bottle before you use it. But that's all you have to do, and it's very easy. And yeah, the, the base, the carrier, is 100% organic oils. Mm. So real quick, we, we didn't touch on this, and I want to talk about this because recently kind of pellets have been a big thing that people are doing. And so there's pellets, there's injectables, you can take hormones orally, and then obviously creams and gels. I want you to talk about which one of those is your favorite and why. Well, the organic oils method of dispensing is absolutely our favorite, and I have very concerns about every other method. Okay, say, tell your concerns. I, I sure. Well, here, oral estrogen and oral testosterone, to me, there's no reason in the world to do it. What we learned about oral estrogen when the birth control pill came out is that there was a certain number of women who got clots in their legs, in their leg veins, and some of those clots broke loose and then went to the lung. Some of these women actually passed away, and it was from the oral taking estrogen by mouth and what it did to the liver in very select women that uh, led to this problem of increased coagulation proteins and increased inflammatory proteins. So I don't see any reason in the world to give estrogen orally. Testosterone can be challenging for the liver, even toxic to the liver, so I wouldn't give that orally. Progesterone you can give orally, and so you can DHEA as well, and thyroid. But for those reasons, I would only we only give estrogens and testosterone topically. And then, um, for you know, like I was saying, if you're going to ask women to apply things to the skin, then the best way to me is put them in organic oils. Now, lots of different methods work, and I I invite. You know, I suggest that uh, any woman choose her provider and, you know, go with the method there. there all these hormones have done decently, uh, do a good job, with an exception of pellets. Pell um, I was called in front of the National Academy of Science Committee on Bioidenticals, and they've got, uh, they are very, very uncomfortable with pellets, a lot because these huge overdoses are being used, and they're getting adverse reactions and the pellets really are putting all of compounded bioidenticals at risk for the FDA removing them from the market. So I have a very, very strong wish that pellets would disappear so that we wouldn't be so vulnerable. And, you know, some people, there's a, I think there's some providers out there who are really have learned about pellets and are more excellent at it and are not using these humongous dosages that get women high temporarily, but then lead to issues. So, you know, 
but they're not common. The most common ones are, are physicians who are injecting a pellet underneath the skin every three months or so, getting these terrifically high dosages. And I don't want to say more about it. I just am very concerned about it and wish they would disappear. Timing, the day. I mean, you're bringing up an interesting thing. Do I remember to take my hormones? Well, one of the things that we've developed in our method is we have an app so that a woman sets the time that she wants to take her morning and her evening dosages on the weekdays and the weekends, and she gets a little beep on her cell phone reminding her to take them. Now, for most women, the hormones are such a godsend. They feel so great about them that it's not one of the things they're commonly forgetting. Or if they forget a dose or two, they tend to remember because they're so, they, they've been life-changing. But again, we use the little beep method on your phone if you want a little reminder of when to take them. Because they're best taken twice a day. Better to take testosterone in the morning because it can be energizing. Better to take bias or the or estrogen in the morning and the evening. Uh, enough bias to really help you during your day and then enough to, in the evening, to prevent waking up in the middle of the night with hot flashes and a racing mind can't get back to sleep. So we like splitting that dose. And it's best to take your progesterone in the evening. So you nailed it. It's like twice a day. And how do you remember? Yeah, you get a little beep. Awesome. Well, I actually take progesterone, testosterone, and estrogen in the morning, all three. And then at night, I take progesterone and estrogen. And one of the things that my husband, this will be a question for my husband. So I'll put the cream on. And so like at night, he's like, don't like, let's say he wants to sleep with me, right? He'll be like, reminding me, like, do not put the cream on. He's like, I don't want that cream touching me. He's like, I don't want any estrogen, extra estrogen or extra progesterone. So he's just so funny about it. He's just like, get, get the cream away, get the cream away. So what would you say to him? Like for like how long after I put that cream on, would there be a chance that any of it would rub off on him? Um, great question. <laughs> years and years ago, when we were using a carbopol gel, we did studies. We applied the hormones to a woman's skin, and then we sampled her skin every half hour. And what we learned that 95% of it was absorbed in a half hour. That was the gel. Now, we've recently just done this with the oils. And it's like within a half hour, 99% of it is absorbed. In fact, almost immediately with the oils, you can actually feel it. His skin gets so dry so quickly. Now, if he's concerned, it's it would be one way that you could um, deal with that is take your hormones a little earlier. And, you know, and for example, if you want it to be intimate, Plan it so that a half hour before, you took them a half hour before bedtime. And then if you wanted to be 100% sure, and we did this study, apply your hormones, wait a half hour, wash them off with a little soap and water. It doesn't even take much. There'll be zero 
left on your skin with that because you get absorption and plus the amount of residual after a half hour and you wash it, it goes down to zero. Or worst case scenario, you forget. You go, oh my God, I've just applied my hormones and now we want to be intimate. Wash them off. They will, your skin will, will lose all traces of hormones from simple soap and water. Not this wild, vigorous, just a simple soap and water will get rid of all the hormones. And then prior to going to bedtime, reapply them. So, so you do get your nighttime dose. So you're saying within, you're saying within 30 minutes, you're getting the majority of the hormones? Yeah. It depends on the carrier. What I can, the ones we've tested is carbopol. And then we also have tested our organic oils. And we're getting great absorption. And by a half hour, you got 95, 99%. When you're using organic oil, you've got over 99% if it's absorbed. And if you want to be 100% sure, you know, wait a half hour and wash off the residual, which you won't feel, you won't feel it. So that totally takes care of it. Now let's talk about where to put the topical hormones on you. Is there a specific place that you feel like the the place is the best for you to get the highest amount of absorption? Well, uh, it varies. In almost any place you apply it, you're going to get absorption. Some places in the body don't absorb quite as well. You might have to use a little more. But here's what we recommend. That estrogen... You apply it to the soft forearm and you rub your two forearms together. Estrogen to the soft forearm. Testosterone, we recommend that you apply it to your lower abdomen, right and left. Sort of if you were lying on your back, it would be right over your ovaries. But, you know, there's, it's not how it's going to work. It's not going to your ovaries. It's just going in your skin. That's a nice soft skin. And then, you know, testosterone... Should your husband pick up a little testosterone, by the way, it's going to help him out. He's going to need it. If he's your age, he's going to need it. And then progesterone, we like the inner thigh. But again, you can rotate these sites. It's also possible to put the estrogen behind your uh, shoulders there. It absorbs really well. And you can put the progesterone on your lower abdomen and, and on the back. The main thing we like to do is not put estrogen on the torso. We don't want direct estrogenic stimulation of the breasts. So we keep it away between the shoulders and between the chin and the uh, top of the pubic bone. That'll just keep the estrogen. That's the main thing that we don't want is any direct stimulation of breast glandular tissue by estrogen. And we choose a wide area just to keep the estrogen away from the breast. All right. Well, I have a question from Sarah Jean Salterini in Tampa, Florida. I won't read all of it, but I'll give you a glimpse of what she wrote. The part she says, I've been putting testosterone on my stomach and I'm getting so much hair growth on my stomach. I've never had hair growth on my stomach before. And now it's just unbelievable how much hair I have. Do you think I'm using too much testosterone? How would I find out? Thank you. That's an excellent question and something I omitted. You want to apply testosterone where there is no hair follicles. 
So you want to apply it to the lateral abdomen, for example. My guess is it, it, it may not be that she's taking too much testosterone. It may be that she applied it to an area that had some hair follicles there already. And that's what you want to avoid. Testosterone will make hair grow where hair is. Hair is not everywhere in a woman. So you can use your inner thighs, for example. That can be a place where there isn't, where we're not going to get the hair growth. Yes, overdose can be part of that issue, but it's pretty rare for a woman to overdose because when you get too much testosterone, you get ornery. You get too testosterone-ish. You get hair, hair growing on your mustache area and on your chin. Your skin gets really oily like a teenager. You can even get pimples. Um, so it's pretty rare that women will overdose with testosterone. But again, if you apply a testosterone where there's hair follicles, they will, it will grow. Mm. So one thing for me that I, I, what I've been doing, which I'm going to change it now that I've heard you say that, is like in the morning, I put all three and I kind of put all of it in my lower stomach. And then I'll put my pants, like I'll have like leggings on. And then like it, it takes a while because it's, you know, not all sinking in. So then I feel like I put my leggings on and then I feel like a bunch of it is still kind of on the leggings, if that makes sense. So maybe I should put all three of them in different places, not all in one place, because that's just too much cream to absorb in one area. Would you suggest that? Yeah, I like that. Again, I like estrogen on the forearms. Uh-huh. And, um, you so know, it's also not, it's stomach? also... Yeah, it's also not a big deal. So maybe you need to... The one thing about the creams and the gels, they should rub in pretty easily and leave behind something that feels dry. Your skin should feel pretty dry. That definitely occurs with your organic oils. You rub these in just a few times, not a lot. You know, you go like this, for example, and it, your skin is dry. If you've got an oil residual that's significant, I question what the carrier is, you know, whether it's absorbing really well in you. But, you know, so what if a little bit gets on your, your tights? It's, you know, you maybe have to use a little more. Um, ultimately, it's a matter of symptom relief plus testing. Mm -hmm. We find that a lot of women, they put on enough hormones to alleviate hot flashes, et cetera, et cetera. But that does not guarantee that they're getting enough estrogen, for example. In fact, we did a study, and when women said to us, yeah, I feel good, my symptoms are gone, and we did a 24-hour hormone test on them, 50% of those women did not have enough estrogen to protect their bones and their vagina. So it's important to confirm with testing, 25% had a little too much, um, so um, they were they put themselves at risk for breast glandular cell proliferation. We don't really want to see that happen. So at any rate, there's a lot of details there um, to get it excellent. And since you're going to do it for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, <laughs> it's really good to get this stuff dialed in with a level of excellence. Let's just take a minute and let's talk about my latest discovery. 
listen, this is the hottest super nutrient packed product that's gonna boost your brain and your overall well-being. First of all, as soon as I tried this product, I became a fan of it and was blown away by the immediate result. I felt focused, my mind was clear, it just doubled my mental performance. So this product has the superpowers of mushroom extracts and collagen. So it has four of the best health-boosting mushrooms. It's got lion's mane, chaga, cordyceps, and reishi, collagen, and Peruvian cacao. So when you combine all of these, the four mushrooms and the collagen, it is going to energize your brain and your body. It's called Kala Genius. So check it out, newtopia.com slash wasteawaygenius and use the code wasteaway10 during checkout. All right. This next question is from Jason Giraldi in Sugarland, Texas. I'll give you glimpses of what he says. He says he's 42. He's losing his sex drive. He took testosterone and his wife couldn't keep up with his sex drive. And he was getting very rude and mean. Is there any natural formulas? Whatever I was doing, I felt amazing, but I was in the NFL. No friends left, including my wife. So I stopped taking it. What is a more natural supplement or take some in a low, lower dosage? What do you suggest? Uh, a great question. Um, I think the remarkable thing is that young men as early as their 40s often have a testosterone that's a too low. They've been just like women, the peak amount of hormone production from a woman's ovaries is at the age of 20, plus or minus a couple of years. Then there's a gradual decline and then a precipitous decline at menopause. Same thing with men, peak hormone output, 20, gradual decline. And sometimes by the 40s, men are noticing changes. The principal ones being loss of drive, loss of mood, loss of erection, loss of libido. So the great news is, is this young man had a, a terrific response to the testosterone. The not good news was he got overdosed. It sounds like a simple matter of overdose. Now, with a young man, sometimes we don't give them testosterone. Very often we can stimulate their testicles to put increased amounts of testosterone, and we can do it with an injection of human chorionic gonadotrophin, and they inject that twice a week, or we can use a uh, medication that was used for women, really. It's called enclomiphene. It will stimulate the testicles to just put out more than they used to. So, the, so for young men, very often, we'll start them on stimulating their own testicles to put out extra testosterone. Sooner or later, most men need the actual testosterone. And he was overdosed. And that's it. And it's clear as a bell. We, we, you know, I've heard these rumors, uh, and I don't know where they came from, that men are much easier than women. And it's not true. There's a lot of moving parts with men as well. And you want to get everything right because if you get too much testosterone, well, you can get belligerent and ornery, yeah, and you can also produce too much estrogen because estrogen comes out of testosterone, 
You can also lose your hair by producing something called DHT. You can hurt your prostate that way, and you can raise your sex hormone binding globulin. So you want to go, uh, men and women, same thing. You want to find someone who really cares about treating with hormones, and they've done some major extra studies. They've been trained. They've been mentored, and they're almost taking I mean, we suggested. You go to someone who's taken it on as a specialty because there's a lot of moving parts to get it right. And the young man is asking a question that um, not only would he get ornery with the overdose, but he'd have other problems develop that he would not want to have happen. He would get breast growth because of the too much estrogen. It's not a problem if you're going to someone who knows what they're doing. But if you don't, overdose is common with men and men don't like it. Big problem. So I've heard that for testosterone for men, you know, I've heard ranges from anywhere from like 300 to 1200 nanograms per deciliter. Women somewhere between 15 to 90 nanograms per deciliter. What, if you had to kind of pick, where do you feel like men seem like, like you said with this guy, whatever they gave him, he must have been at 1500 you know or higher uh and so where are you seeing that the the men are the happiest where do you like to see your range and where do you like to see the range for females as well army would be tempted to give you a simple answer but i want to give you the right answer with men and women we have to take into account several things i'll start with men they're going to cut by the time they're showing up to a doctor's office, they often have erectile challenges. They often have libido challenges and other symptoms. So one of our goals is to start the hormone levels low and gradually increase them until we get symptom alleviation. Now, prior to treating a man, we always do check his testosterone levels, his free testosterone levels. Men take out a pencil and take notes here. We check your estradiol and your estrone, your sex hormone binding globulin, your DHT, your prolactin. You want every one of these moving parts checked. And some men, they do fine because you asked the question about testosterone. They do fine when you replenish them, and they're even producing a testosterone of 400. And they get their libido back, and they get their erectile function back. Some men, you've got to push it higher. You've got to push it up to seven, eight, nine hundred, even a thousand. That's getting up there. That's getting beyond youthful levels, pretty much. If you're going to push those doses that high, you want to be certain that you're not simultaneously raising the estrogen too high. We men need estrogen. We need it for protecting our arteries, but we don't want it too high. We don't want it too low either. You don't want the estrone too high. You don't want the DHT or you're gonna lose your hair and, and possibly adversely affect your prostate. So we do the same process. We do initial testing. They could be 300. They could be 700, 800. By the time they're coming to the office, they're usually not that much higher than 700. They're somewhere between 250 and 700. 
And then we start everyone on a low dose and we use topical. This is how I do it. This is my testosterone. I have a syringe in there. It's an oral syringe. I draw up my testosterone, pull it out, squirt it on my hand and rub it on my sides. And we choose the dose and we start low and we gradually increase. And we're heading towards symptom alleviation. We're heading for the man to say, wow, my libido's returning. My erection is, is, is sustaining. Then we test them. And we make sure that they haven't gone too high on the, on the analytes that I mentioned that we could do too high. But we're, we're going to be conservative. If you push a man too high, he might feel temporarily okay, but he's not going to like the breast tissue that he's developing, for example. So it's a skill. And it's based on not only symptoms, but on accurate testing. Mm -hmm. Well, Jason has another portion of his question. It was very long, so I'm only going to use this small portion. He also says, "My back is work. My back is hurting every time I'm working out. Is that another sign that I'm low on testosterone, or do you think that's just a sign of old age? It seems like everything breaks down after forty. um i i don't know i mean it's so possible to injure our backs and by the time you're in midlife let's say for example you don't have good posture or you've done some heavy work you you're working out too intensely well a 20 year old can work out excessively and we usually survive it. But the message from the body is something is causing that backache, and I wouldn't start with testosterone. In some instances, not necessarily in a 40-year-old, the testosterone has been too low for too long, and that's a guarantee in men and women that you're going to lose muscle. It's the number one thing that puts women and men in nursing homes is the loss of muscle called sarcopenia. You know, once you get into that wheelchair because you can't walk with stability, uh, that's what gets most people into nursing homes. So what I'm pointing out here is for women and men, you must maintain adequate testosterone to maintain muscle. And so if women, if you're getting flab here, in the triceps area, or if men are, you're losing muscle. Or if you can't do a squat like you used to, you're losing muscle. Or if you can't get off the floor without using your hands and your arms, you're losing muscle. And women and men, we must have the proper amount of testosterone. Now, if you lose muscle in the back, which is you can lose it everywhere, you're not going to support your back as well. But I can tell you, that every chiropractor on this planet and every osteopathic doctor and every massage therapist and every physical therapist will talk for hours on how it's possible to injure the back. So I'm not going to say that the back is injured from loss of muscle or insufficient testosterone. I'm going to say that there came a time in my life where I had to learn about posture and my back and how to take care of my back. 
And one of the abuses I was doing was I was going to the gym, which I love, which is fantastic for people, but I was overdoing it. I was lifting weights and doing all kinds of antics, not because it felt good to my body, no, because I thought that's what I should do. I should, no pain, no gain, right? When the opposite is true, if there's pain, you're going to lose something you don't want to lose. You're, mm. you're damaging something. If there's pain, you're damaging something. So it's such an art to lose how to exercise properly. Gyms, fabulous. Exercise, fabulous. But you have got to learn how to do it with skill. And especially since you want to go the long haul, you want to be exercising when you're 100. My father was playing tennis at 92. He was really good, too. So you want to be able to, you, you want to, in order to take care of your back, which is for human beings, that's one of our more delicate, often apt to show problems of abuse. So I'm sorry for the lengthy uh, answer there, Chantel, but you know, there's, it's, it's, it's a science unto itself, the care and love of one's back and the repair of one's back. Well, would would you agree, though, when testosterone levels are low, someone could be at greater risk of inflammation and pain in the joints? Like you just have a little bit more pain, maybe a little bit more inflammation if your testosterone is yes. low. Would you say that? You know, where we see it most commonly is in women. Mm. Women midlife can often enough have aches and pains, and sometimes they're severe. I, I was treating a, uh, a, a, a 55-year-old real estate agent. You, should, you could relate to this. High-end in Naples, Florida. Showed up in my office. And uh, it, when I was doing my initial interview, she was having symptoms of menopause. And I read in her history that she was on OxyContin. This is a narcotic painkiller. And I'm sitting there going, Oh, oy vey, am we gonna am I gonna treat an oxycontin act addict here? But she seemed really intelligent and really motivated for health. And I just said to her, Well, you know, I won't be managing your oxycontin. I will not be prescribing that for you. She said, No problem. And I put her on hormones. And three weeks later she runs up to me in the parking lot at a health food store and she says, I can't believe it. I'm totally off the oxycontin. I have no pain. She was actually using OxyContin for real pain. She was not an addict. And the moment the pain went away, she didn't need the OxyContin, so she dropped it cold. I'm using, I'm giving an example that's not too extreme. There are so many women that by midlife and by menopause, they got some aches and pains, even diagnoses of fibromyalgia, for example, or joint pain. And what we, the main thing I do is I train and mentor physicians and nurse practitioners. And the main thing we say in our teaching, when a woman of midlife or a man of midlife shows up with a long list of symptoms, treat the andropause or the menopause first and see what's left. Because very often these things just mystically disappear. So I would say that of this gentleman to, you know, Yes, a, a great thing to do is optimize your hormones by someone who really knows. And in Texas, um, we have a, a, a there's a pharmacist there that is so fantastic. 
Las Colinas Pharmacy outside of uh, Dallas. Um, this is a world expert on treating men who's going to pay attention to all the details. Las Colinas, outside of Dallas. There's people all over Texas who are doing good work, but this one I can vouch for. And he'll get it right. That's the thing. You want to get it right. You want to have someone who really is aware of these multitude. So you you optim so you optimize the testosterone. Take you a month or two or three to do that, and see if you got see see how your back's doing then. See how your joints are doing then. Well, you've written an amazing book called Happy Healthy Hormones: How to Thrive in Menopause. I want you to give people just a little tasting. Give us like two little tips that you tell in that book to get them to want to read the rest of it. What is kind of the best parts that you can give us a glimpse of that you talk about? Well, I think one of the most important chapters in that book is the third one. And again, your listeners can get a free copy from you just by download, uh, going to the link. Yes, we'll um, put I that think in the subject we haven't covered that I think is so crucial for women is that women's medicine got a horrible thing happen to it. Women, you know, 40% of American women, 18 million American women who are in menopause were on hormones prior to this Women's Health Initiative study that came out in 2002 that was falsely reported. And, it, and the report said, the women were at risk if they took hormones for getting breast cancer. And it terrified women all over the world. 18 million in the United States went down to about 1 or 2 million with dire consequences from the loss of those hormones. And it scared healthcare providers, physicians and nurse practitioners. And, this, and, the, and the word is still out that if you take hormones, there's a risk. Well, here's the science. We're all at risk for thousands of diagnoses. We're all at risk for hundreds of cancers. We're all, as a man, I have a special increased relative risk for prostate cancer, and there are reasons for that. And women have a special increased relative risk for breast cancer, and there's modern reasons for that. This was not always so, even when I was in medical school. But given that we're all at risk, here's the science. Women who are treated with hormones are at less risk for breast cancer, heart attack, and stroke than women who go untreated. Women who are treated with hormones are at less risk for breast cancer, heart attack, and stroke than women who go untreated. Even more than that, women who have had breast cancer and have had that breast cancer properly treated they have an increased relative risk of getting a recurrence than a woman has of getting breast cancer from the beginning. But women who have had breast cancer and had that breast cancer properly treated are at less risk for recurrence if they are treated with hormones than if they are not. Hmm. So there's this thing out that's called Myra, M-I-R-A, and it's actually a fertility tracker. And it basically captures your hormone count in the palm of your hand. And you literally just pee in a little thing and you put the strip in. And it the main reason it was made was that it identifies your sixth 
most fertile days for you to be able to give birth. But now they've created more things and they've kind of checked now your testosterone, your estrogen, your progesterone, and it reads what your hormone ranges are and it does it instantly. What is your opinion of that? And kind of talk about, you know, would that be something that someone could do? I know you're a fan of the 24-hour, and I am too, of the urine test, checking it all day. Um, and that's how you would get it. Okay, let's let's check it one time, right? But if someone wanted to see where they were at on a regular basis and just kind of see, do you think those things are really accurate or what's your opinion on those? Well, and I will have to come to completion here in less than a minute, but I'll give yes. you a less than a minute version. Um, saliva can work really well in a young woman who wants to become pregnant. And what saliva is very good at predicting yeah, in this instance is if you ovulate. Because if you ovulate, your progesterone levels shoot up sky high. And so if you take your, your salivary test every week, every three days or so, you'll see whether you're ovulating or not. And then there's variations, and I think you're describing variations. I don't know about the need to test the other hormones, but ovulation is the key uh, moving part there. But fertility is, so saliva works good for that. The woman's not being treated, and it can measure whether you're putting out a lot, shooting out a lot of progesterone Thus, if you ovulate. So it can help you with fertility. And with that, Chantel, oh my goodness, I'm about to go on to another interview. So yes. Well, this has been amazing. Tell listeners where they can find you and where they can follow you. On bright.live, that's B-R-I-T-E dot live. That's a good place to connect up with us. Okay, awesome. Well, this has been so great. Thank you so much, doctor, for being with us. And you guys stay tuned. We've got another episode coming up in just a few. Bye-bye for now. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.